Sox fans, and welcome in to episode 128, season 4, episode 9 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we got a sixth game flight because it's been a little while here, so let's get right into it. The Canucks played the Los Angeles Kings and came away with a 4-1 victory. Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson each had two goals, while Quinn Hughes and Andre Kuzmenko each had two assists. Canucks host uh, Vegas Golden Knights down 2-1 after two. The Canucks come back to take a 4-2 lead, only to do something very Canucks-like and end up losing the game 5-4. Quinn Hughes, a couple of helpers, Kuz with a goal and an assist. Canucks then went to Colorado to play the defending Stanley Cup champions and came away with a 4-3 victory. Ethan Bear and Sheldon Dries each had a goal and an assist, and Oliver ekman Larson found the score sheet twice with two assists. Better effort against Vegas this time in Vegas. Maybe their most complete game of the year. The Canucks beat Vegas 5-1. Shutout was spoiled late, unfortunately. Great game for Spencer Martin, Andre Kuzmenko, two goals and assists, Quinn Hughes and JT Miller with multiple point nights as well. The Canucks then found themselves in San Jose, where they came away with another 4-3 victory. Andre Kuzmenko, Ilya Mikheyev, and Elias Pettersson each had a goal and an assist. JT Miller had two assists as well. And our last game of this six-pack game flight, Canucks come home after a very successful road trip, only to lay a bit of an egg against Washington Capitals, losing 5-1. Niels Hoglander with the lone goal. Um, and Doug, we were at that game, and it was it was pretty fun, despite a, a pretty poor effort by the Canucks, I, I thought. Uh, but we were in with the Larshiders for that one, and uh, that's uh, that was your first time sitting or standing, I should say, lower bowl with the Larshiders. What did you think of that? Yeah, I thought it was really fun. I, I like everyone standing and everyone had, you know, flags to wave and signs and all that stuff. I thought it would be a little bit more cheering, um, but I guess we got down to an early goal lead, so it was hard to kind of get that momentum back up. Um, but overall, I thought it was it was great. Like, it was fun. I like that atmosphere at a game. I know we've talked about it, especially being in the lower bowl and how the lower bowl f- for years has kind of killed that kind of atmosphere and in-game vibe for the Canucks. And it was ni- it's nice to see a fan, a group of fans trying to create that atmosphere. And again, I had a ton of fun. I thought there'd be a little bit more singing and chanting um, than what there was. But again, when Ovechkin scores two quick goals on you, it can deflate a lot of the energy that you had pre-game. And also, uh, Snowmageddon, I think a lot of people couldn't get to the game. There was quite a few empty seats. Uh, the roads were chaos. So I think those two things combined certainly uh, affected a bit. But I had a great time. That's my second time doing the Lars Scheider's Lower Bowl. Uh, and I do enjoy and much prefer to stand throughout the whole game. It's it's uh, it's just what I want to do at a sporting event. So shout out to the Lars Scheider's for hosting another great night. And I know there's a couple more in the calendar Coming up, um, Doug, lots to get into this episode because it's been a while, man. We've uh, we've had to reschedule this a couple times, but we're finally back. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm back from San Francisco, which is nice. So hopefully the audio quality is a lot better. We've got our regular recording setup this episode compared to the last episode. And yeah, I mean, we took a week off. Obviously, last week it was American Thanksgiving. Um, you were busy. I know I was really extremely busy. And yeah, it's good to get out. There's been a lot of Canucks news, a lot of games to talk about. And yeah, no shortage of content for you and I to discuss, Pete. I, I see, Doug, you got a cat trying to get on the podcast here as well. Yeah, he's trying to make his presence known, but I've slowly uh, pushed him away. Nicely done. Sorry, cat. Maybe next time. Um, Doug, how's things uh, overall? Like, what's uh, before we get into all the Canuck stuff? Uh, tell me a little bit about life. And it was nice yeah, to I, see you yesterday as well, and have a have a beer. That was and before the game. That was that was nice. Yeah, and actually, we're going to be at the game tomorrow night too. I I don't remember the True. last time I went to Canuck two Canuck games back to back like this. Um, no, it was good. It was good to see you too. Uh, obviously, you know, with our work schedules and just life, you know, we don't always get to see each other as much as we'd like. Um, yeah, it's just been good. Just trying to get settled back, being back in Vancouver, and getting back into my work routine here. Uh, what about you, Pete? How has the week and a half been for you? Yeah, busy, man. It's uh, just trying to get beer made now so that I can have a little bit of time around Christmas, but it's just been pretty nonstop. I'm also going to L.A. this weekend for the Seahawks game, which I'm pretty stoked about. So it's just kind of that also puts a little bit more pressure when you take out a couple of work days. Um, overall, though, yeah, you know, just kind of same old, same old, just enjoying watching lots of sports and kind of just lying low these days which is uh which is kind of nice because i mean too busy otherwise um and speaking of busy man we got uh we got a lot coming up on this episode we have both brendan and dan back to give their thoughts on things canuck related uh we got the three stars coming up as well for the month of november uh, of course we got the free pour uh, later on and a ton of canuck stuff we're going to get into everything going on with the canucks uh well pretty much everything but uh everything you're expecting to hear and some other stuff we're uh, we're going to get into it on this episode yeah you know some highs and lows i thought the canucks outside of the game last night seemed like they were turning a corner they were playing a lot better defensively so yeah i'm looking forward to break down you know the canucks recent play and it wouldn't be a canucks episode without a little bit of drama you know so we'll obviously discuss uh the rachel dory uh media availability and the statement she released um about her dismissal with the canucks so we'll break that down uh as well we'll not break it down but we'll we'll bring it up and discuss it and give our kind of thoughts on it and yeah, I'm glad uh, Brendan and Dan are both back contributing to the episode. That's always fun having them, you know, add those little clips to each episode. And it's kind of nice for you and I because it's less work for us to do, right? Exactly. Less talking, less for us. We just grab their clip, put it in. We're like, look, there's a couple more minutes right there where uh, we don't have to talk. Uh, Brendan's segment, we're continuously changing the format of it. Um, and so now it's a... Uh, unnamed segment that we'll get to a little bit later on so uh we'll uh we'll we'll just wait until something kind of sticks with it like uh, with uh, dan it was kind of right off the bat we're like oh dan's feelings and that just kind of worked uh, brendan's we're trying a couple different formats so his segment is now yet to be named uh also you can follow us on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas the podcast is at canuck speak you can give me a follow on twitter at doug then 
and check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Pete and I continue to curate the playlist at the end of each episode with a new song, which will be added to the playlist at the end of this episode. And Pete, you edited uh, back-to-back episodes, so you actually had the chance to uh, pick the song for the last episode as well. Why don't you tell people about uh, a classic Motown group that you chose to use as the outro track? Man, I, I just love the Supremes. I've always loved the Supremes, and they're they're just so talented in the the epitome of that Motown sound. And I, I could have chosen a lot of different songs. I mean, I, as usual, I just go with an artist that I've been listening to a lot uh, at work, and the Supremes just have been back in the heavy rotation. So I was like, this is perfect. Uh, Love is Like an Itchin' in My Heart is an awesome song. It's always been, I think it's always been my favorite Supreme song, but there are a couple other runners in there. But that one has just got such such a beat to it and such a rhythm, uh, just some great little elements of jazz and backing vocals in there to really just spice it up. It was also a classic in the Northern Soul era, uh, as just a, an absolute banger and a floor banger, and you can you can see why. So, I, I mean, Supreme's amazing. Like, what can you say? Uh, you're right, a Motown classic. Um, and uh, if you're ever in the mood for some Motown and just to kind of get you going, that's uh, a great place to start. Yeah, I mean, I, I put on a Motown playlist at least once a week at work myself, and it's just amazing. That era of music, how, you know, all every song was a hit, you know what I mean? And yeah, I love the Supremes, Diana Ross, um, arguably one of the first, like, female supergroups of their time. For um, sure. And they yeah. kind of, you know, ushered the way for other bands like the Crystals um, and... Um, uh, What's the other band I'm trying to think of? Um, I'm thinking Martha Reeves is another one. Uh, that was out there, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Yeah, Martha Reeves, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. But then was, there's the other one. Uh, I can't think of it right now. But yeah, uh, it's all good. You'll you'll think of it halfway through our Canuck talk, or when you're going to bed to, at at night. You'll be like, oh. So uh, if you if you do at some point just jump in there when I'm in the middle of some rant about Spencer Martin or something and uh, you'll you'll cut in. Actually, it was and, and uh, I will for sure there. Awesome. Um, let's start things off, Doug, with the three stars of the month for November. I think he'll be back for an encore yet tonight. Fans haven't left. They're still here. And still the three stars selections to come. My third star of the month is Bo Horvat. I mean, Horvat obviously has been scoring goals at an incredible clip. Um, I think, you know, he's really playing for a new contract. Uh, he leads the team in goals. He was tied with McDavid for second in the league uh, for most goals scored. I think he's down to third now. I believe McDavid scored a goal last night where Bo didn't. Um, but yeah, my third star would be Bo Horvat. My second star is Andre Kuzmenko. I think Kuzmenko has been amazing for this team so far. Um, I think he's producing at a much higher clip than I think most of us Canuck fans thought he would. Um, he's energetic. He's extremely fun to watch. And Demko even said just having his personality in the dressing room has been nice. And so even the stuff he's kind of doing off the ice I think is helping this team. And then obviously I think the number one star, the, the best player for the Canucks so far this year is uh, 
has been and is my first star, Elias Patterson. Patterson, his two-way game is really starting to vet develop. He's still putting up points. He's getting the matchups now against the opposition's best players. I know last night wasn't a great matchup for him. I believe that line was minus three against the Ovechkin line. But, you know, he did very well uh, in Colorado playing against Nathan McKinnon. And, yeah, so my three stars, Horvat, Kuzmenko, Petey. You know, it's really funny is we've chosen, each of us has chosen the same three players that we chose for October for our three stars. My third star is JT Miller. Now, I'm sure there's some people rolling their eyes about this. It's like, JT Miller, that guy doesn't back check, do this and that. During November, playing more on the wing, uh, and he actually had a pretty good run of games going there where he was not on the ice for any goals against. His defensive game has been improving. He gets a, a negative rap in this city a lot of the times, somewhat undeservedly. Uh, his defensive play, certainly there are issues with it, but I feel like he's really upped it uh, a bit. 17 points in 14 games uh, as well, tied for second for the month in assists. So I gave it to JT. Second star, Bo Horvat, uh, led the team in goals, 11 goals in 14 games. What can you say? Taking all the face-offs uh, as well. Um, and I believe he was also the highest minute total among Canucks forwards for the month of November. And I'm with you now. Number one, how do you not go with Petey? 18 points in 14 games. That led the team, um, but it's also his two-way game. And it's nice that, I mean, okay, again, the Washington game was obviously anomaly uh, going minus five there. And I tweeted today how that's the first time since January 5th, 2019, that a Canuck player has gone minus five. And that was Eric Goodbranson in a 5 nothing loss to Toronto. Now, that game aside... You know, I, I, that's an anomaly. Uh, Pedersen's two-way game has really impressed me, and some of the goals weren't his fault uh, against Washington. But for me, an easy choice for the first star. So, Doug, uh, what we're doing this year, as you know, is we are doing this as, a, as an awards competition for the Canucks to see who is going to win what we are calling the Barfly Golden Pint Award. And only four Canucks so far have received points in this. So you get three for a first, two for a second, one for a third. Right now, leading the way, Elias Pettersson has 11 points. Bo Horvat has eight points. Andre Kuzmenko has three points. And JT Miller has two points. They're the only four Canucks on the board right now chasing the elusive and coveted Barfly Golden Pint Award presented by the Canucks Speakeasy. Trademark. Got to make sure we yes, trademark. Trademark. That. We we do read the fine print, yeah. folks. It it is trademark. And I just remembered, it was the Ronettes. That's who I was thinking. Ah, the yes. Ronettes. They're another one of those oh. classic Motown female groups. I knew <laughs> I, I knew would you. remember some point in I this knew episode. You get it. <laughs> I, I was I was just waiting for you to yell it out in the middle of it. Like I said, some run it. So I'm like, Jesus, you got it. Well, I'm glad you're editing this episode because uh, uh, that would have been fun. Hey, um, good stuff. We got a lot to get into. Let's keep it moving. Let's bring in Dan next here for Dan's feelings. Hey, my name's Dan. And I have some feelings. Please say hello to Dan. Yo, give me something to Dan. Dan, 
So I'm recording this as our Vancouver Canucks are trailing 4-1 in the third period at home versus the Washington Capitals. And I thought, instead of talking about the state of the team and where they're at, we're sort of officially at the quarter pole of the season, 20 plus games in. And in episode one, myself, Doug and Pete, we thought we'd throw out some bold predictions for the year. And it would be kind of fun, I figured, to revisit those now that we're at the quarter pole. So let's see how those bold predictions are are faring for each of us. We'll start with uh, Doug. Doug had Demko, our beloved number one starter, as a top three finalist for the Vesna. It's not um, it's not looking good so far, Doug, but that's okay. Your second prediction was Brock Besser, number six in our programs, number one in our hearts. You stated that you figured Brock Besser was not only going to surpass the 30 goal mark this year, he would get 35. Not quite there yet. But your first one, the one that kind of shocked us all when you initially threw it out there was Andre Kuzmenko. You said he will be a 60-point player. And as it stands right now, he has 21. So I'd say of those three predictions, your your boldest one, looks like you're, you're well on your way to nailing that. Well done, Doug. Well done. One for three. Pete, let's take a look at what you had to say. You said Jack Rathbone would establish himself as a regular in the NHL, even getting second unit power play time by the time the season wraps up. He is currently in Abbotsford. Pod Colson, the way you saw it, Pete, is you thought he would become the real story of the forwards. A, a real energy player driving the play with 20 goals and 30 assists for a nice round 50 points. As things stand, he is with Jack Rathbone and Abbotsford. But you did state that you thought Quinn Hughes, from the back end, would crack 70 points. Right now he's got 21. That's looking pretty good. So, like Doug, you have one for three going. Nothing wrong with that. Now myself, you know, if I'm going to cast some shade towards you guys and your bold predictions, then I too have to face the uh, the ones that I threw out there and, you know, admit that it's not looking good. First one was uh, I figured Hoglander would have a bounce back year with 20 goals. He scored tonight for his second. Um, and he's been a healthy scratch. Inconsistent would be fair of his play so far. So uh, I, I think that one's going to end poorly. Second one was I predicted the lotto line would get put back together before the 20 game mark and light the league up. As of this recording, I don't think they played a shift together. But my last one was I stated that Spencer Martin would surplant Thatcher Demko at some point as the starter. And there would be another goaltender controversy. I think probably my wildest prediction, if you were looking at the season Demko had last year and the predictions for him moving into this year. So um, I'm kind of proud of myself. That one's looking pretty good, although not tonight. 
Anyways, I just thought it'd be fun to revisit those. And again, we can do that after they cross the 41 game mark. Anyways, um, my name's Dan. I'm a Canuck fan. And those weren't really feelings, more so statements. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. And if uh, you don't already follow him on Twitter, that's at Dan Mackles. Uh, Puts out a lot of great and funny Canucks content and uh, lately a lot of old uh, EA Sports NHL 94 type content uh, as well. So cheers for that. Congratulations on winning your Stanley Cup there, Dan. Um, uh, That was tough. I was kind of having a chuckle when uh, he was going through yours. I'm like, oh, mine's going to be better. And as soon as he said Rathbone, I'm like, oh, geez, uh, (laughs) this is not going to go well. Um, Rathbone and pods. I mean, that's uh, for me, that's uh, that's tough i'm i'm pretty shocked by that i really thought rathbone was gonna solidify with the team um at least they're both in abbotsford pod colson has scored in his first game with abbotsford as well um at least he's playing um but man like i really thought that there's going to be another gear they have the skill they do we've seen it and it's frustrating at times that they don't get played more um but at least now they're playing somewhere but uh right now as it stands i don't see rathbone solidifying a spot or making second power play uh pod colson who knows man i think there is a outside chance he can kind of come back and be a more dominant power forward quinn hughes going for 70 points i think they may all be assists but i think he uh he could hit it uh doug thoughts on your predictions yeah i mean look demko has probably been arguably the most disappointing canuck so far this year um i think we had really high expectations for him. Uh, maybe they were unreasonably high. Um, but yeah, Demko finishing top three in Vesna voting is not looking great right now. Not going to lie. Uh, the other one that's not looking great is Brock Besser scoring 35 goals. Um, unfortunately, that does not look like it's uh, it's going to happen either. Uh, Brock, I know he was on a nine-game point streak Uh I believe, but it was mostly assists. I think he's only got three goals on the year, maybe four. Yeah, not um, three. That's just a disappointing. And I think, you know, one of the big issues with Brock right now, as far as goal scoring goes, is he's just not finding, he's not being put in those shooting lanes to get a shot off. Uh, Kuzmenko, I mean, Kuzmenko looks really good. And I, I, I think 60 points, 20 goals, 60 points is definitely a possibility for him. Um, so yeah, I mean, that one looks good. I know at the time, you know, that was one of the bold predictions that I think most of us thought was a little bit bold. Um, but yeah, Kuzmenko looks good. I will go back to your, uh, predictions there, Pete. I also, with the Jack Rathbone thing, I think, you know what, Dermot getting injured and not really having a timetable on how long he'd be injured for that opened up the door for, seemingly opened up the door for Rathbone to kind of jump in and take that spot. And for whatever reason, it just didn't happen for him. So I understand when you made that prediction, why you would have made it. I appreciate that. Um, also, it's worth noting Kuzmenko uh, is one of Canuck, four Canuck forwards, sorry, who's pacing for a 40-goal year right now. Now, I'm not saying they're all going to hit it. Also, Kuzmenko, remember this month in November, he was healthy, scratched a game, and he still got uh, got in the second star of the month for you, too. But he's got 21 points in 22 games. So that's pacing above 70 points, well above 70 points right now. Quinn Hughes has 21 points in 19 games. Kind of quietly, all 21 points are assists as well. He's missed four games so far this year, so he's also pacing for 
uh, above 70. And on Dan's side, Niels Hoglander, uh, he's, he seems to be playing better lately. I mean, he scored the only goal uh, against Washington. He's playing better, but uh, I mean, I think 20 goals is, is out of reach. He's only got two on the year. Uh, he's sat for six games as well. Uh, the lotto line just, yeah, man, I don't know if we're ever going to see that together again. And, and you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it just because I do like, again, except for last night, I do like the Pedersen line with the Russians. I think they got something going there. Um, but I think we'll see it at some point this year. I mean, it, there's lots of kind of conspiracy theories about why they don't play them together. But uh, um, I think really it's uh, just better chemistry right now who Pedersen is playing with. Uh, Spencer Martin supplanting Demko. I don't know if he'll surplant him, but we may see more of a a 50-30 kind of split of the games uh, or even like 45-40 kind of split of of the games. I know neither one of those adds up to 82, but you know what I mean, right? Like, I I don't know if he'll surplant him, but you may see uh, kind of more of a split of games with, uh, with those two guys. Yeah, I will say this, Hoglander, I think he is playing much better, and I think he is proving that he should be an everyday NHL player. 20 goals, I don't think he's going to get there unless he goes on an incredible hot streak. Uh, I honestly thought the Martin surplanting Demko was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek prediction from Dan, but he looks really smart right now. Uh, I don't think anyone would have thought at this quarter mark of the season Martin would have played the amount of games that he's played up to, what is it, game 22? I think the Canucks have played right now? Or game uh, 24. Uh, 24. 24. Or 23, I don't know, 23, 24, uh, something Reg- like that. Uh, yeah. We're, we're professionals here, folks. We don't even know how many games the the team we follow uh, has played. I, I've got it here. It's 23. There we go. All 23. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Internet. Um, so, yeah, yeah looking at I- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, yeah, so like that, that, that is definitely a shock. And I, I think that kind of goes into Demko struggling. And Martin, to be fair, I don't think Martin has played great. It's just the games that he plays, the Canucks seem to score a bunch load of goals. His, his stats are better, but uh, I mean, through 23 games, as we've uh, finally discovered it is, 14 for Demko, 9 for Martin. Uh, neither one has been pulled in any games. But the stat lines, you know, Martin is the better stat line uh, of the two. And it's a 323 goals against and a 902 save percentage. That's not amazing, but it is better than what Demko's sporting right now, which is a 381 goals against and an 885 save percentage. So... It's, uh, yeah, man. I mean, the Canucks are giving up a lot of goals, but I don't know if Martin will fully supplant him, but I think you may see more of a split until hopefully Demko gets a rhythm. I think even if Martin gets a rhythm, I think they'll still go with a bit of a split um, just because it's Thatcher Demko. But uh, if Demko gets hot, which I hope he does, then I think maybe Martin takes a bit of a backseat. Yeah, I I, I think... Demko's going to get the start against the Florida Panthers, uh, the game tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday, so you'll probably hear it as tomorrow being Thursday. Um, and hopefully Demko can get on a bit of a roll here and kind of find his game and, you know, get a run of eight or ten games in a row and really try to find himself before uh, we get to the halfway mark. And Dan uh, reminds us of what our bold predictions were at the halfway mark, which I do look forward uh. to, by the way. 
Yeah, I do too, actually. Uh, oh, geez. I mean, uh, listening to those uh, when, when he was saying all that, it it really just kind of like a part of that feels like a lifetime ago. It's like, man, like that that realm of like just blossoming optimism around the team at least you know if there was uh, from us at least there was quite a bit of optimism we thought the team was better and there were some uh there were some signs for it but uh we uh we so far american thanksgiving quarter pull both in the in the rearview mirror and we haven't really seen it yet um let's hear uh, what brendan has to say uh brendan's segment as we said yet to be named yet to be really determined but he's a great voice uh, out there you can follow him on twitter at jabbo underscore vancouver so um doug you're editing this episode why don't you just hit it with some music right about now just a bit outside So it's been a few weeks since I've been on Canuck Speakeasy to do one of these. And I was really hoping after a really good three-game road trip, hey, Canucks get three wins in three games, six points out of six, that they'd come home and, and play a, at least a decent game in their first game back from the road trip against Washington. But of course we wound up getting the exact opposite. What I would consider um, probably the best, the most incomplete performance of the season. I think there, but there were stretches of games that were worse, but in, but in its totality, I don't know if I can remember a game that was this, uh, this bad. Um, I mean, they were just bullied, outcompeted, outworked, out-efforted, Anything you wanted, anything you want to say that's negative. I mean, it probably was the case, um, but we're just gonna look past that and just look forward as to you know where this team is headed. What I what I see happening. Um, you know, I've said this for a while that you know the importance of um, getting this team playing the right process. You know, we hear that a lot. Process that that word's gonna continue to be used a lot. Process. Um, and their process on that, especially in the first two games of that three-game road trip in Colorado and in Vegas, was good. Um, their compete level was as good as we've seen it all year, and they were executing um, at a, at a decent level. Um, obviously, I think there's a there's a, a step to go um, to get this team where it needs to be, um, but you know it is important now. I should preface this by saying this. Whenever I bring this up, especially on Twitter, whenever I say, um, you know, I bring up process and the importance of it, people then fight back. Well, this roster isn't good enough, and and I'm just and I'm saying, you know, that shouldn't stop you from getting your process where it's where it needs to be. And I mean, I truly believe that, you know, if you're going to be, and they will be bringing in new players, new roster players, um, trades will be happening at some point. It's of the utmost importance that this team begins to begin to figure out that process. Um, I, I don't think you can simply just flip your roster and bring in new players and magically everything is fixed. It, it's not that simple. The process has to be in place as well, especially if you're bringing in new players. You want that process to be in a, in a place where you're putting these players 
in their best positions to succeed. Um, you know, there's a reason players, like you, you'll see players go, you know, to a team like, say, Carolina, for instance, outside of, I, I think we'll leave Ethan Bear out of that because for whatever reason that didn't seem to work. But, you know, there's a reason why, for the most part, players go to that team and succeed because the, the process, the work ethic, everything you want is already in place. So you're putting players that come into that organization in their in their best positions to succeed. Um, right now with the Canucks, you're moving in the right direction. But over the last few years, I mean, their process has been horrendous. I mean, their structure has been awful. Um, I don't know whether they weren't being coached it or, or, or what, but it, it, it looked really bad. And so as a result of that, you bring in guys. So you'd bring in a guy like Jason Dickinson, a guy like Nate Schmidt. And they'd look bad. I mean, they wouldn't look good at all. And so you'd sit there, okay, well, what's going on? And then they, I mean, and in the case of Jason Dickinson, I mean, he was, you know, uh, an important piece of a team that went to a Stanley Cup final, a guy that considered by many and most to be a very good two-way forward. Well, then he comes to Vancouver and he struggles. Nate Schmidt came from Vegas. Now, you know, I mean, I think he had a down year or was starting to go down but I mean he's left here and he's gone to Winnipeg and is playing well so you know again the importance of process the importance of getting this team playing with proper structure so that as you then begin to flip this roster a bit and build around some of the whoever they think that core is is to me just as important as whatever moves they'll end up making you know you got to put these players in the, the best positions to succeed um and you do that by continuing to hound this team to get their process in place, to get that consistency in place, getting them to play at a particular level. You know, the game against Washington notwithstanding, you know, first game back from a road trip, sometimes that doesn't that doesn't end well. Um, it's certainly not the first time that the Canucks have struggled coming off of a road trip. Um, the hope is you know, the game against Florida and moving forward, that they can, can get back to what they were doing right in Vegas and Colorado and build that that sort of play as your consistent base. So as you move players out, as you move out, what I think is probably a winger, whether that is a Garland or a Besser, and whoever you bring back in, they're being put into a situation where there's a consistency, there's a process in place where these players are going to come in and hit the ground running. So we don't see Jake and Jason Dickinson's anymore. So we don't see players struggle like that anymore. Um, and that's my hope going forward. And, and um, you know, hopefully as this season moves forward and, 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 and continues into the midway point and towards the end, this team is continuing to figure that out and building that consistency. Um, so we'll talk to you, I believe, next week, and hopefully we'll have uh, uh, some more positives to talk about. Um, certainly there were positives this week, but unfortunately ended it on a negative note. Hopefully positives throughout. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Um, yeah, man. I mean, uh, we were at the Washington game, so we, we saw a lot of that firsthand. Um, I, I know he's certainly talked a lot about structure and that was definitely uh, the, the buzzword that uh, we get from there. Um, it's 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 kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, the Canucks seem to have better structure last year when Boudreaux came in, but 
they don't really seem to have it right now. Like they, there's just the defensive structure is is all over the place. And I don't know if that's on Boudreaux or losing Brad Shaw as well. I think that's something we don't talk a lot about. Um, but it's, it's very frustrating when you come back from that successful three-game road trip and you lay an egg like that at home coming back, uh, especially after we have confirmed sightings of Alexander Ovechkin at the Roxy. He couldn't even take a take. Couldn't even take advantage of the Roxy hangover. Um, it, it's uh, what do you make of the return to from the return game against Washington and structure for the Canucks? Yeah, I mean, I thought, like you said, that three game road trip. I thought the Canucks were playing arguably some of their best defensive hockey that they've played all year. I thought that guys were back checking, guys were clogging lanes, doing a bit a better job of making smarter passes, especially when they're up, you know, trying to keep the pedal to the metal and outscore your opponent when you're already up two goals doesn't make sense. And again, I'm not saying you should completely turtle and go into a shell and, you know, using a football term here, use the prevent defense, which a lot of football people say prevents you from winning, but just play smarter. You know what I mean? Play smarter, make smarter passes, take an extra second before you make a pass. That way you're not coughing it up to the opposing team. And they did that for those three road games. And those were quality opponents. You know, I know Colorado has a lot of injuries at the moment, but they are still an elite club. Vegas is doing really well this year. I know there was a lot of questions about the goaltending, but they're still playing really, really well. And San Jose, I think, has surprised a lot of people this year as well. I mean, Eric Carlson's probably the front runner for the for the Norris Trophy at this time. So they're a lot better than what I think most people thought. Yeah, and then to lay that egg against Washington last night, I know Washington got off to two really quick goals, but even just the energy overall, the, the Canucks just seemed a little flat. Yeah, I think... Um... I think as well, I like what Brandon says, though, about um, about creating a structure that when players come in, uh, they can succeed. And this is something that I've said a, a lot of the time is you have to really have the right players for the right spots and roles in the lineup. And it, Jason Dickinson and Nate Schmidt are the two that also come right to the front of my mind when we talk about this. Right. Is like those are two guys who we were excited to get. And they both lasted a year and were incredibly disappointing. And arguably, I think certainly in Dickinson's case, uh, uh, and probably Schmidt's case as well, actually, uh, they they came from a system where there was more structure. And they come into Vancouver and, and they could never really find their role or the structure. And I, I do think that has been a problem. Um, I think... I, again, is that the coaches, is that the players, is that management? I think it's everything and deciding what this team is and where their strengths are. And and it also could go back a bit to what we were talking about with Pod Colson and Rathbone a little while ago. You know, there's two guys that you, a lot of Canucks fans are excited to see, see them as a future part of the team, and then they're not playing. And then Danila Klimovich, one of your top prospects in Abbotsford, he's not playing. And it, it just kind of leaves Canucks fans again uh, kind of scratching their head a lot of the time. Like, well, we don't have the structure and we're not playing the young guys. And uh, it, it's it's kind of this, it kind of spins around and round. Um, but it, it is a bit of this uh, Jekyll and Hyde when you're, you're seeing, you think they've turned a corner and then boom, you just like, that that Washington game, I, I, like if we had recorded before the Washington game, I think we'd have a lot more positive tone with the podcast. I don't think we're quite as, as, as bitter as we were the last episode. I think the last one we were just like, you know, 
F everything. I'm 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 <laughs> trading everyone for draft picks and looking for the 2029 season. Um, I don't think we're quite there this time. Uh, there's definitely been some better play, but I I, I want to see what the Canucks bring tomorrow against Florida in particular, especially at a Hall of Fame game, and uh, see if they can recover and get something a little more going at home. Yeah, I mean, you have to assume the Canucks will be a lot more energetic given the circumstances of the Sedins and Luongo being honored for the Hall of Fame game. Uh, I agree, though. I, I think Brendan brings up a good point. Like, it's kind of disheartening to see guys like Jason Dickinson and Nate Schmidt come into the organization and flounder that first year and then essentially get shipped out. I would honestly say Connor Garland. I know he was okay last year for the most part. I thought he played well, but he seems to be kind of struggling this year quite a bit. Um, yeah. And even with the coaching change that we had, you think that would help change some of the structural issues that this team had under Trav Screen and now moving to Bruce Boudreau, but it still is an issue. And I don't know what that is. I don't know why that's still an issue. Um, there's clearly... I think they need to take a step back. I know Brendan actually has mentioned this on our show before about Elaine Vigneault when he first took over the coaching job for the Canucks and they were kind of a run and gun team. And that's when the Sedins were ascending, kind of coming in out of the West Coast Express era. And he took a step back and made them learn how to play defense for a couple of years. And that eventually opened up their offensive game because they were able to play better structural defense. And it seems like that is an issue. I know the other counter-argument to that is, well, they don't have the horses, right? Their defensive core is not good enough to to play inept, adept defense game in, game out. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But you know, when the goaltending hasn't been there that we're used to seeing from a guy like Demko, and then you've had issues on your defense just with personnel and injuries to start the year, and your forward group makes careless passes in the offensive zone, leading to odd man rushes the other way. All these things add up to the Canucks being 31st in goals against in the league, and yet 4th in goals for. That, and again, that stat might have changed after last night's game, because they only had the one goal last night. But yeah, the, the goal deferential right now, and I think special teams have really been killing this team. Yeah, Canucks, uh, they're one of the one of the lowest in the league in in terms of uh, goals allowed. They're, they've allowed 88 goals through 23 games. Uh, this is a crucial stretch of games coming up, and it's a winnable stretch. Now, NHL, like any sport, no game is ever a guarantee by any stretch. But you start with Florida. Florida's only won three of their last 10 games, and there's no Barkoff, and the Canucks should be energized. To me, that's a, a winnable game. You're following that up with Arizona. Arizona lately is always a winnable game. Um, there's, of course, no guarantees. Arizona's actually been playing a little better than I give them credit for, but uh, they've they've had uh, they've had trouble scoring goals uh, as well. They're uh, they've only got four wins in their last ten, and then after that, you got Montreal. Montreal now Montreal is six and four over the last ten as well. So they they are playing a little better, and they're they're starting to turn the corner a bit. But Montreal is a team that won the lottery last year they were near the bottom of the league so again it's winnable and then you got the sharks again and the sharks are uh, right behind the canucks in the pacific division so this next four game stretch uh the canucks again they do this weird little thing where they go to san jose for one game and come back this is the second time this year that's happened so the four of the next five games are at home because they come back then and play the wild and then after that 
It's out. Uh, it's out to Calgary for a game, and then back home. It's it's a weird string of games. But once you get that, that Calgary game, the schedule gets a lot tougher. So for me, this next kind of four to five games before they head out to Calgary, this is really crucial. I mean, this is gonna dictate even further how the season is going to go. If the Canucks flounder, all of a sudden you're 28 games into the season now, and it's uh, pretty tough to recover from that. Um, in terms of structure and, and developing a game, though, like, you know, Ethan Bear is an interesting example for me. Bear came in, took a little while to get going. Now, he hadn't played for a while. And he seems to be finding his place. But then a guy like Riley Stillman, I, I think, you know, he comes from having played more games and comes in, and he looks a little bit lost. And I know there are different kind of players out there um, in, in different situations, but it's there's been a lot of this with the Canucks. Uh, and, and Bear is right now a slight exception because he's starting to find his game. But the Canucks bring in a lot of these guys they take chances on, and it seems to very rarely ever work out. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like Stanika will be back in the lineup. We haven't seen a lot of him. But... Uh, it's bringing these guys in and then you, we don't often even Garland and OEL, right? Like they, they came in and uh, they, they've regressed from their first season in Vancouver, both of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, OEL and Garland. I mean, OEL had a really good season last year, given the circumstances of his contract and the term. I thought most Canuck fans, even people that were very critical of OEL thought he actually played above their expected expectations of him last year. Garland, he seems to be really struggling. And now I know he had that fight against Marchessault, which was great. A little featherweight tilt between him and Marchessault. Um, but again, he's really struggling this year. And I know he has those flashes of, you know, with the puck where he does his little spinorama along the boards, but he's just not, he's not producing right now at all. And he's a guy that I think, you know, definitely could be traded at some point this year for help on the back end or to solidify that third line center position. Cause right now that still is a position that I honestly don't think the Canucks have had a legitimate third line center since Manny Malhotra, you know? Well, uh, yeah. Like I mean, who, Malhotra who is the, uh, he's the prototypical third line center, Manny Malhotra. Yeah. I, and I know they ran three centers last year with Miller, Horvat and PD and, you know, it had varying success, but, Again, it really wasn't successful because the Canucks didn't make the playoffs. Um, and so it's been a long time. They 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 thought they had it filled with a guy like Adam Gaudet. That floundered. Uh, right now, they that that's another position that this team really needs to fill. I think guys are playing better than they expected. Like someone like Al, or uh, I was going to say Alex Burrows. Um, not Alex Kyle Burrows, Burrows, obviously. <laughs> Kyle Burrows. Um Kyle Burrows and like you brought up Ethan Bear, like they are starting to kind of find their game and they're playing a little bit better. Tyler Myers, it's always an adventure with Myers. Some games he looks good. Some games he looks like he's chasing the puck and he's coughing the puck up every time it's on his stick. Um, but Bear and Burrows, I think, are actually really starting to find their game and solidify that, you know, back end. Burrows played on the left side last night. And I know, again, the Canucks didn't play well. They lost, but I actually thought Burroughs equated himself pretty well, and he was on his offside. And you know, I it's it's something that I think that this team should be doing. You know, let's put out who the best players we think are going to give us a chance to win the game. Not oh, well, this guy plays the right side, so he we can only get him in on the right side. It's like no, Burroughs is much better than Stillman has been. Who cares if he's playing the left side tonight? He needs to play the left side. 
Uh, looking at the uh, morning skate this morning, uh, it looks like Stillman might be coming back in for Burroughs, and it also looks like Garland might be coming out for Stadnika, with Stadnika going in on the wings. So we'll see what actually happens there. Um, something else with the Canucks, uh, on, a, on a positive, um, and there's been some chatter online as well about this, but some of the bottom six forwards, though, for the Canucks uh, have actually been performing pretty well. Now, the Canucks haven't been doing what I, th- I thought this was the year. When, when am I going to learn? When uh, I, I say it the last three or four years, I'm like, this is the year we have a top nine. And we don't, again. It's a top six. And But some of these guys, uh, they're, they're, they're much more useful than some of these guys we've seen in this bottom six roles. I mean, Niels Amon has been a, a revelation, probably the biggest surprise of the Canucks season. Uh, Dakota Joshua uh, brings uh, a little bit of that meat and potatoes to the team that you need. Uh, Curtis Lazar, since his return, I think has been very good. And those guys together kind of comprise a, a pretty decent fourth line. Uh, the problem is, is that the Canucks aren't really getting anything from the third line. Um, who's I'll, I'll have to think of one here too, uh, just kind of quickly off the top of my head, Doug, but out of the bottom six forwards, uh, uh, you know what? I already kind of said Oman, so I'm going to go with Oman, but uh, um, who's kind of been your biggest surprise uh, from the bottom six? I mean, it's hard not to say Oman just because I don't think anyone expected him to even make the roster at training camp. He had a good training camp. One of the few Canuck players that actually had a really good training camp. There was injuries as well that kind of helped him make the roster. And he's been an everyday NHL player since. And I don't think anyone had much expectations for him. They thought most people thought he was going to be in Abbotsford and help contribute down there. Um, But I also really like Dakota Joshua. And just to be a little bit different, I'm going to go with Dakota Joshua. I think at the beginning of the year, Joshua was struggling a little bit. It took him a little bit to kind of find his game. Um, But he does play with that sandpaper, like you mentioned, Pete, which is important. And it's something that this team has lacked at times the last, you know, 10 or plus years. And so, yeah, I would go with Dakota Joshua because I think that line altogether, all three of those guys are playing really, really well. And Curtis Lazar, I I think that bottom line missed him. And you could tell they, I won't say they were struggling, but Lazar just brings that extra element. He's another guy who is very physical. He hits everything. And yeah, that that fourth line right now, they're playing really, really well. And that's something that we haven't seen from the Canucks in probably 10 years is a, a really solid, good fourth line that, I mean, even last night, because I know the PD line was struggling against Ovechkin, that fourth line played a lot of minutes last night. Like, I didn't see what their totals were, but they definitely seemed like they got a lot more ice time than the third line did, which was Dries, Garland, and Besser. And at times, I know we were expecting to see, you know, the Horvat and Miller line come out, but Boudreaux was throwing out the Lazard, Joshua, and Amon line over them at times as well. Um, So anytime it seemed like a goal got scored against the Canucks, it was the Amon, Lazar, and Dakota Joshua line that was coming out. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did come out uh, quite a bit. I, I mean, we were we noticed it. It was it was very noticeable just how often that line was getting uh, thrown out there over the boards by by Bruce. And I mean, it's they they did seem to get uh, a little bit more ice time. I mean, Sheldon Dries is another guy that was going out there, but uh, yeah, like fourteen minutes for Lazar last night. Like, it's uh, most of those guys were kind of hovering around that that area. It was like thirteen to fifteen minutes, uh, which by comparison, some of the four. Like Brock Besser was only fifteen forty six. Uh, 
Dakota Joshua was 1344 and uh, Curtis Lazar was 1450. So Neil Zaman, 1531. Uh, that's only 15 seconds less than uh, what Brock Besser is getting. And all those players had more than Connor Garland uh, did uh, as well for the Canucks, who is uh, one of the lower, I believe Connor Garland was the low minute man for, for the Canucks last night. Um, so well, Besser yeah, kinda, plays power play as well, right? I mean, so yeah. if you add in Besser's power play time, I bet you his five on five ice time was lower than a lot of those fourth line players because of all the power play time he got. Well, not all. I think there was only two power plays, maybe three for the Canucks last night. But still, you know, an extra 30 seconds here, an extra, you know, 40 seconds there, it adds up. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it was interesting. It's a fairly balanced uh, usage last night of players, except for Quinn Hughes, who jumped out at over 25 minutes. Um, Doug, we got a few things off the ice with this team uh, that we got to get into here uh, as well. Let's start off with uh, tomorrow, the game against Florida, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame game uh, with uh, the Sidians and Luongo getting honored at Rogers. It's also been announced that Luongo is going up into the Ring of Honor uh, as well um what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean obviously we talked about i think it was the last episode we talked about um it was because i remember it, i was in san francisco um just about the hall of fame induction for the sedines and roberto luongo and how awesome it was especially with the sedines because there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they're canucks obviously they played their entire career for the canucks um you know Burray. Felt like a Canuck going in, but obviously he had incredible success in Florida and incredible success in New York as well. Luongo, obviously the pinnacle of his career was with the Canucks because they were a good team and we went on that Stanley Cup run. Luongo is, in my opinion, the greatest goaltender to ever play for this franchise. So I like that. And I it definitely seems like we saw this from their... Hall of Fame speeches that Luongo and the Sedins are really close. They're really good friends. Um, so I like that there's going to be a ceremony tomorrow. I'm guessing we're going to have to get there kind of early, or at least I want to get there early to make sure I don't miss anything. Um, and yeah, I think it just goes to show how important all three of those guys were to that era. Luongo going to the Ring of Honor, it's an interesting topic because I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be in the Ring of Honor, but I guess the question is, should he have his jersey retired? No, you see, and I wouldn't, and that's only out of respect to Kirk McLean. And Kirk McLean has been involved with the organization for a long time. He's a, a prominent member of the alumni, uh, and he was a fantastic goalie. He was very, very good. I know a lot of people may not have seen him play when he was a Canuck, but he was a very good goalie and a huge part of that 94 run. I mean, the the pad stack, you know, like he was he was a huge part of that. I think out of respect, you can't, retire Luongo's number because of Kirk McLean. And I think, I, I think again, if people, if you, if you're not familiar with Kirk McLean or is before your time as a Canucks fan, this guy deserves to have a stamp in Canucks history as well. One of my all time favorite goalies. I think the ring of honor is a nice kind of compromise. The number one is going to be a tough one for players to wear in Vancouver. It may just be one of those things. You don't see players wear number one really because of those guys. Um, but 
I wouldn't retire it. So I think Ring of Honor, though, I think that's the perfect spot for him. I mean, Luongo's the all-time winner or games won for for the Canucks. Um, I mean, he leads uh, the team in most goaltending stats. So I think he's very worthy of Ring of Honor. Uh, but I just think out of respect with Kirk McLean as well and what he means to this organization and how involved he is with uh, the team and the community, I don't think you're going to uh, – I think you, you can't retire number one without doing something for McLean. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, McLean's also in the Ring of Honor. Um, and yeah, I mean, they are the two greatest goaltenders in franchise history. McLean was kind of one of the last true stand-up goalies of that era. Um, and yeah, I mean, the biggest save, in my opinion, in Canucks history was the uh, stack pad save against Calgary, right? Like that literally was like a series-saving save from McLean. Um, it, again, I, I, it's an interesting topic. I think, I, I think he should be in the ring of honor as well, but I know some people thought, you know, maybe he should have had his Jersey retired. I think this is a good compromise, like you said. And even though we don't have a date yet, uh, I know that's going to be another game we'll be going to next year. Pete is the Luongo ring of honor game. A couple of fun things with, uh, with, McLean and Luongo they're top two in just about every Canuck stat McLean number one in games played Luongo number two uh in wins it's Luongo number one McLean number two they're the only two to crack 200 most minutes played also most points Kirk McLean had 21 assists in his time with the Canucks and Luongo had 10 uh they're the only two to get into double digits I, I get a kick out of that but yeah 21 assists for Kirk McLean as well that's kind of uh, a funny one uh even like just looking at shutouts as well like they're they're right up there again top two Luongo with 38 and McLean 20 so they're every category um I'm fine with uh, Ring of Honor though for Luongo I think that's a that's a fair compromise yeah uh, again i look forward to the game tomorrow night and i look forward to the ring of honor game next year as well um rupee hints uh he's come up uh, in a lot of canucks chatter uh because of the contract he just signed eight years at 8.45 so that would if he was a canuck that would be the highest paid player on the Canuck. This is a guy who's played 261 NHL games. He has 194 points. Now he had a 37 goal, 72 point season last year, and he's pacing over a point a game this year. Uh, a lot of people are pointing fingers and saying this is a comparable for Bo Horvat. So two-part question for you, Doug. Is it? And what is your current ballpark for a Bo Horvat deal? Uh, I don't think it's a comp for Bo in the set. Like, okay, well, it is to a degree. Obviously, Bo's agent's going to use it as a comp, but I think Rupe is a better two-way player than Bo. Um, I know Bo is on pace to score 40 goals this year, but he's never done it. Rupe did score 37 goals last year, which I think obviously is one of the reasons why he got the contract he got. Um, but I don't think it's a fair comparable because I, I, I think Rupe is a much better two-way player than Bo is. And I think that is also one of the reasons why his contract is as high as it is. I think, I think the Canucks, they can't sign Bo for any less than what they paid Miller, in my opinion. You know, they're going to have to do a, a nearly identical contract to what they did for Miller, I think, especially given the way Bo's playing right now, whether or not Bo would 
sign that, you know, give the quote unquote hometown discount because he's the captain and, you know, he wants to continue playing his career in Vancouver. Who knows? Um, but that's, I think it, the Miller contract is a much better comp, obviously, because it's the same team, a similar type of player. And he gives Miller gives the same type of play as a Horvat, where again, Rupe is arguably one of the top five, top 10 two way forwards in the league. Rupe hints uh, career high last year, 72 points. Uh, Bo, uh, his highest he's done in his career is 61. Uh, again, uh, he's pacing uh, higher this year, obviously, and so is Rupe. Um, Bo is also a year older. Um, and, and you mentioned the Miller deal. That was a seven-year, $8 million. I would not be surprised if they offered an eight-year, $8 million to Bo Horvat. Um, going north of that, is going to be tricky, but I think uh, the eight million AAV. I think that's still around where you can get uh, Bo. But again, this is a guy who still, and again, hopefully that changes this year. He's only topped sixty points once in his career. Uh, he's been a pretty consistent twenty goal man. Uh, he's only topped thirty goals once in his career, and that was last year. Um, but I do think as well. I, I see people saying like ten million for Bo, and like that's that's not going to happen. If that's what his camp wants, he's getting traded. There's no way. But I do think right now, and depending how the season goes, I think you're looking at Bo probably in the upper sevens to low eights. So I'm going to say right now, I think an eight year, eight million dollar deal. That's about where I think the Canucks could land with it. Um, and again, they can make this happen. A lot of people think, oh, you got to trade this for Bo or do that for Bo. Um, as I, the Canucks are going to make some moves. It's not impossible because they've signed Miller that they they can sign Horvat as well, especially with the expectations of a rising cap. Uh, I, I, there's lots of ways you could clear salary. The problem is, is that the Canucks just don't seem to have a history of doing that really. Yeah, and I'm also a little bit, worried about signing Bo to an eight-year deal I don't I outside of like PD and Hughes I don't know if there's anyone on this team I want to lock up for eight years um and so that's always something like even with the Miller deal like I don't have an issue with the dollar amount and I get it like this is what the fair market value for Miller was going to be I just felt like it's probably a year or two too long in ter- as far as term goes for my liking and I would be a little bit worried about signing a Bo Horvat for uh, eight plus years, but obviously that's what him and his agent are going to push for because they want that um, guaranteed money and that kind of uh, stability in a, a long term contract. I see that the cat's back harassing you there as well, Doug. Way to keep your focus. Uh, last thing before we take it to the free pour, we got to talk about this Rachel Dory situation in Vancouver, uh, which is very much an off the ice situation. Um, I, I think anyone listening is kind of up to speed on where we're at with this with uh it's long been rumored that rachel was getting a lawyer uh to go uh up against the canucks for uh for a number of things and that's finally all come to light is she's uh claiming discrimination based on uh mental disabilities and uh a a conflict really with emily castingay canucks assistant gm um Details are, you know, we've only heard one side of this argument. Um, and I know this is kind of a, a tricky one because of that for me is like, you know, I, I haven't heard. Uh, I, I feel like my, my mom always says that there's 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 their side, there's their side. And then there's what's really what really happened. And she said, you know, you may never know what really happened, but you got to hear their side and their side and then form your opinion 
uh, as close as you can based on what happens. So for me, it's tough. I'm not in a spot where I have an opinion. Obviously, I feel for Rachel. Uh, I feel for anyone with mental disabilities. Mental health is no joke, man. Like it's, uh, as, as you know, like I've dealt with things myself. It's it's no joke. Um, I, I will say I wish this hadn't all gone public. Um, I don't think it, it it's necessarily necessary. And I'm sure there's people out there who disagree with me. Um, for me, like this feels like uh, an HR issue that, could have and should have been dealt behind the scenes and then there's a footnote with that if it has been found out that the Canucks have grievously done wrong here then I do understand but I want to hear more of uh, what Emily has to say but I don't think she's going to make any sort of public statement about it so we may be in the dark about this for a little longer yeah and look I I, I want to hit the same point that you did Pete about you know mental health and how important it is and you know, in the document that Rachel Dory um, shared with the public, she says in details that, you know, she struggled not only with mental health, but, you know, it's actually caused her some physical de- uh, dehabilitations too with her heart and whatnot. And she was very open during the interview process with Jim Rutherford about these issues that she's had and these struggles that she's had. And Rutherford was totally fine with it and obviously, you know, hired her knowing all this stuff. And yeah, I, I, I do think there's, there's at least, you know, three sides to every story, right? There's person A, person B, and somewhere in the middle is kind of how everything kind of came together. I don't think since Dory has been let go from the Canucks, she's come across at times a little petty. She's had tweets kind of, you know, showcasing, you know, negatively towards the Canucks and then deleted them. I think that's kind of petty, especially in a situation like this, which is a very serious thing. Um, However, I did watch her interview on Donnie and Dolly yesterday after the game uh, we went to last night. Uh, I watched her interview and I actually thought she equated herself very well. Uh, I thought she was very well-spoken and I thought she made some points. Um, She said Cami Granato was amazing. Uh, A lot of the staff there were really good. Um, she said Jim Rutherford was great. Um, it seems like the only person she had an issue with was Emily Castonguay and then Elvine because he came to the Pulled decision the to, yes, and fired her. Um, I will also say this and obviously, you know, it's going to play out in courts and most fans aren't going to see what the final results are, but as somebody who has had to, let someone go with and without cause. Usually when you're letting somebody go without cause, you've got all your ducks in a row as to why you're letting them go without cause. You wouldn't just say I'm firing you with no um, severance or anything like that. Generally speaking, I would assume, and maybe this is my ignorance given, you know, the kind of gong show the Canucks can be at times, but I would assume that they would have, checked with their legal team and made sure that they had everything in place to be able to fire her without cause. Um, but yeah, it's it's an ugly situation. Um, I don't think we'll ever know all the details. Um, I respect Dory for coming out and talking about her mental health struggles that she's had over the years. And I hope she gets better. I really do. I know she says she doesn't want to work in hockey anymore. And, you know, that's still very 
toxic and negative environment for a lot of people, not just her, but just people in general. It's kind of sport culture, unfortunately. And yeah, I hope, you know, in the future, she would handle a situation like this a little bit more professionally, you know, social media wise. It just, it doesn't look good in my opinion. And again, who what, who am I? You know, we have a podcast, you know, but I just, I, I don't think she's made herself look good in the media publicly, in my opinion. She's come across a little bit petty and that, yeah, that doesn't look good, but you know what? Kudos to her for standing up to what she feels was a wrongdoing and a wrongful dismissal and talking openly about her struggles with mental health. Yeah, and you got to look out for for number one. Um, I mean, uh, and Emily Cassinger and the Canucks did release statements, very kind of brief. Um, we don't really have a, a lot there, and we, you're right, we may never know. Um, I guess one of the, what I, I was kind of going is like we don't really necessarily need to ever know, um, but if if the things that she's saying are true to the letter that she describes them, um, then, yeah, that is cause for concerns, 100%. So it would be nice to kind of figure out what happened. Um, you know, we haven't heard from Cami Granado on it or Patrick Alvine or Jim Rutherford or Emily Cassingay or anyone else in the Canucks brass. Uh, they're all tight-lipped. So um, I'm sure we'll hear something at some point, but we may. Uh, it may just be this, this kind of rumor mill now uh, and this social media discourse that kind of, leads us down the, this path for for a while now um trying to find figure out and find out an answer so you know all the best to, to rachel uh out there um and uh you know uh it's uh, it's a tricky one to talk about i gotta say like i know when we met up yesterday i was like you know i don't know if i even really want to talk about it because i just i don't really know how i feel about this whole thing uh so um you know hopefully i somewhat articulated myself okay i don't even know if that's a proper sentence i think i just screwed that up too but um uh, yeah, it's 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 a strange one to talk about. Um, and, but yeah, again, certainly our, our message is mental health is, is no joke. So look after yourself, people. Doug, should we take this into the free pour? Let's do it. It's that time of the episode again for the free pour open floor segment. And I want to talk about a show I've been watching uh, on Crave, it's called White Lotus, uh, season two. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's kind of a funny show. Um, they're not the two seasons, even though one character is from season one, comes into season two. There's not really a tie-in story-wise. They're kind of two separate stories, but one character does transfer from season one to season two. And it's just about these resorts. Uh, the first one, I believe, was in Maui, and this one's in Italy, and they're called the White Lotus Resorts. And it's for someone, Pete, I know you and I obviously, you know, worked in customer service and uh, accommodation and hospitality. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Um, some of the stuff that happens, and, you know, from the staff side of things, from the guest side of things, I definitely recommend checking out White Lotus. Nice one. I see. Uh, I see an ad for that. I think uh, every break during a football game. So uh, that's nice to hear a little feedback about it. Um, for me, it's going to kind of tell uh, a little story and a story within a story. So Friday night, I uh, I double booked myself. I had tickets to Arcade Fire, and I also had tickets to go see the Giants play. Now originally, 
When I bought tickets to Arcade Fire many, many moons ago, it was Feist, Beck, and Arcade Fire. And uh, since everything came out about Arcade Fire, there's no more Feist and Beck. So I was all kind of surly because Beck was really the reason I was going. So anyways, I tried to sell them online. Predictably, no one was buying the tickets. So I gave them to someone. I was just like, you know, a friend at work. I'm like, you know what? Here you go. Enjoy. I'm not going. I've made the decision uh, to go see Connor Bedard play tonight. So I'm going to go do that. So did that. Great game. Uh, great to see Connor Bedard play. It's the only time in his junior career he came out here. Uh, I had tickets for him in Victoria, too, but I couldn't make it over for that, so I gave that ticket away uh, to a friend, but he, he transferred me some cash. And then Sunday, I had some friends in town, and uh, just going out for pre-drinks with them. They're all going to the Modest Mouse show, and then one of them couldn't go, so all of a sudden, I acquired a Modest Mouse ticket for, for no charge. So it's kind of just uh, the great how, how karma works sometimes. You know, you give away a ticket, he had a ticket, so got to see Bedard. So basically, at the end of the day, just traded Arcade Fire for Modest Mouse, and uh, Modest Mouse at the Commodore was a pretty fun show. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 128, Season 4, Episode 9, just about in the books. Uh, Doug, lots going on in the world of sports, and of course, the most dominant thing in the world of sports right now got to be the world cup uh, it's been pretty exciting i know canada is out but uh you know they're in a tough group it's always going to be tough for them to get through uh but it's been entertaining so far we're now seeing half the teams that have secured spots into the round of 16 and going into the knockout phase uh, it's just all coming fast and furious right now yeah i mean and there's been a lot of upsets obviously argentina lost their first game germany lost to japan tunisia beat france today None of it had bearing on whether or not those big powerhouse uh, teams were going to make it to the, the knockout round. But it's been very entertaining. Like you said, it's, it was a little disappointing that Canada was eliminated so quickly. I think they were the second, them and Qatar were the first two teams eliminated from the second round, which was disappointing. Um, but it's been very entertaining, and obviously the World Cup in four years is going to be held in North America, which I think a lot of people are looking forward to, and hopefully this Canadian team can learn a couple of things from this experience and show a little bit better in the next World Cup. And we're starting to see some fun matchups in the knockout rounds. Netherlands, USA, Senegal, England, Argentina, Australia, and Poland, France are the first four games uh, that we are, are going to see in the knockout stages. I'll actually be in the States for the US one, but I think it's only 7 a.m., so i got to figure that out. I'll, uh, I'll go in there watching the game and uh, make sure that I'm uh, I'm wearing a, a Netherlands top or something just to, just to get a reaction out of everyone. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, also, the Davis Cup, kind of lost in the shadows in the timing of day uh, of it. Uh, Davis Cup, Canada wins the first ever Davis Cup. Uh, again, we talked a, bit, a little bit in the last couple episodes about Canadian tennis, and this is just another building block and in, in part of the process for Canadian tennis. Yeah, I mean, huge win, obviously, Felix, and, uh, well, Milos wasn't on there, but, um, um, who's the other guy? The Chapo, yeah. Yeah, uh, huge, huge for Canadian tennis. I think we are definitely seeing Canadian tennis on the rise, and it's probably the most competitive group of players, both on the male and female side, we've ever seen in the history of... Yeah, it certainly, certainly is, uh, and congratulations to Team Canada, uh, I don't think they got quite as much recognition as they deserved. Kind of lost in the fanfare of the World Cup and the NHL season and the NBA season and the NFL season. 
Uh, but congrats to them. Also, just one last thing with the World Cup. Only two teams have won all their games, and they've only played two games. But Brazil and Portugal are the only two teams that have actually won uh, every game they've played uh, out of all the teams in the tournament. So that's kind of impressive as well out of 32 teams. Um, and again, they got one more game to play in this round robin, but uh, kind of neat. Brazil and Portugal, only two undefeated. Well, the only two, uh, sorry, not undefeated. To The only two to win both the games so far. Once again, you can follow us online. I'm at Pete underscore gas on Twitter. Do check out our playlist on Spotify. The Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, all the outro tracks are added on there, so give that a listen. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to check out the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.